Well, church, it's good to be for you. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Aaron Cotton, and I'm the family discipleship uh, pastor um, here at uh, The Grove. And so um, and I'm thankful to, to continue on in our series uh, in Galatians, which is uh, no other gospel um, has been uh, our, our theme. And so uh, I felt compelled this morning, especially uh, looking at Galatians 2, uh, when we see Paul say that he's been entrusted with the gospel. So our title this morning uh, is Entrusted with uh, the Gospel. Let me open up with a question. The question uh, is this, is think of something you have been entrusted with. Whatever uh, it may be, someone or something, think of something that has been passed down to you for you um, to steward uh, or, or take care of. Uh, about a year uh, and about three months ago, uh, our, our son was born. Uh, and so we went to the hospital and uh, man, that was an experience in itself just to go uh, and experience that, uh, just the, the unknown and the nerves of what was gonna take place. And so um, baby's born. I mean, when, like when you're in the hospital and, you're, and, you're, and your kid is just born after like day one, day two, it's like, man, we got this in the bag. We got nurses that are coming in like angels to take care of our child. We're hanging out on the couch. Uh, and I like, I remember trying to put my son Judah to, to bed that, that when he was first born and he's crying. People would come in and show me like what to do and they would actually put uh, my child to sleep as, as I watched them, um, and then I would try to do that at home. Somehow never worked the same way as it was in the hospital. My wife and I, uh, like just like he is fresh. We're going out to our car, uh, and we got what we thought the, the, uh, the car seat like ready to go. Um, it took us about five to 10 minutes just to figure out how to work the car seat. And so the person, the nurse that's with us is being really patient. Like we're frantically going crazy about how we're gonna put our child into this car seat. And then, I don't know, if you had children, you, you know that moment when you're, you're driving away from the hospital and there's just like, uh, did it come with a manual? Do, is there some instructions into how to raise this, this child, this human being that I now have that's been entrusted into uh, my care? I'm going like 10 miles below the speed limit. I'm looking around in the parking lot, making sure I'm not gonna hit anybody because I knew that like I had precious cargo literally in the back of my vehicle. Not only was I cautious, but also aggressive at the same time when people were kind of swerving in my lane because I know I, I had been entrusted with something super, super precious. And it instilled in me and led me to do things that naturally weren't there originally. And so church, I want to invite us, when we talk about this gospel, that this is the gospel that is, is precious. This is the gospel that is not just good news, but it is, church, it is the best news that God has entrusted into your care and therefore it leads us to do certain things. Things And if you've been like me this past week, I've been thinking a lot of, man, who am I, Lord? Who am I that you've entrusted this good news to? And I'm reminded not, uh, of, of my, not only my words, but Moses' words in Exodus 3 where he says, where I ask the question, who am I? God goes on record, record and says, I am. I am, Aaron, where you are not. I am sufficient where, where you are not. And we see this in book of second Corinthians where Paul says that we are like jars of clay, forgetful and fragile people. But God has been pleased to extend this gospel, the surpassing power to us in order for it to get out of this place. 
If you've been asking me like where I'm at this morning, there's a lot of movement in me. Not like movement within the present, but there's a lot of movement into getting us out of this place, out of the four walls of frost to actually make an impact in our city for the good of our city. Not in the name of ourselves or the grove, but in the name of Jesus. Because that is where true goodness is found. Look at me in Galatians chapter two, verse one. Paul says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I love this picture that we see right there in the beginning of, of Galatians chapter two, where we see Paul mentor, being this mentor, we see Barnabas as an encourager, and we see Titus who is being invested in or poured into. So let me ask you a question, church, is who are you mentoring? Who are you mentoring? Who are you bringing alongside you to encourage? Who's the Barnabas in your life? Who's the Titus in your life? And I love what Christian shared earlier. It's like with our kids, like we, 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 we can easily overcomplicate things, but what it look like just to bring our kids along and with what we're already doing into the scriptures that we're already in. And maybe we're not reading our Bibles with our kids because we're not in the word ourselves. Le- leading ourselves. Because church, if we have not first been impacted by this surpassing power, how in the world are we gonna be able to invite people in to that gospel? You've been entrusted has it impacted you? Who are you investing in? Who are we pouring into? I love it. Like, I'm just taking Titus along with me. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to take a road trip. And Titus is probably like, I'm in. I'm in. Because any young person, you know, in college is ready for an adventure. We're going to Jerusalem. Count me in. Because Paul, after 14 years, he's been hearing a lot of noise. He's been hearing a lot of these guys named uh, these Judaizers who are being stirred up in the, within the church and who are proclaiming a false gospel. And it's wore him down. He knows he's received the true gospel. He knows he's received the, from the ultimate source what this gospel is, but yet he is willing to seek counsel. Church, if the apostle Paul is willing to seek counsel, who are we to think that we're above it? Because being entrusted with the gospel, first point this morning is this, is that it leads us to seek counsel. He goes up to Jerusalem, he brings Barnabas and Titus along with him, and he went up, verse 2, because of a revelation, and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. And Paul, you'll see this throughout the chapter, he'll quote, and he'll use words, those who seemed influential, like at least four, at least four times. And you're thinking, Paul, like, you're speaking of, like, Peter, James, and John. Like, these are the pillars. Paul isn't being disrespectful. He's just being proactive because, he's, because of the noise of the Judaizers and who they're claiming allegiance to. Paul's saying, I claim allegiance to Christ, and I'm so freed up by the approval that I have in him. Therefore, I'm free to go to those who seemed influential. So Paul pursues this counsel. Proverbs 11 will say this, that where there is no guidance... Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. That even the Apostle Paul, who wrote like a lot of our New Testament, if he himself is willing to go seek counsel, we too are called to seek counsel because we've entrusted with this gospel. Because our, our enemy in our flesh wants nothing more than to isolate us. And if we see anything from in the Bible, in Genesis chapter three, we know what, what isolation produces. 
We, we know that the, the serpent comes who's crafty and, and subtle and, and, and whispers lies and continues to push our, our, our ultimate, our, our faraway parents into isolation. And we, we know the result. And so we're called this morning, those who are being entrusted with the gospel, to get some counselors around us. To get some people who are like, well, I'm not really a counselor. Well, false, because the Holy Spirit, who is the counselor, lives in you. And so therefore, there's some counseling words that, have, that are in you that are intended to get out of you and to be a blessing to the community. And so if you're on the fringes uh, this morning, if you've been kind of checking out the Grove, waiting to maybe jump into a neighborhood group or jump into this community, we're missing out because you haven't jumped in. Because the Holy Spirit has gifted you and we're better for it, and then you will be better for it. But the way that counsel, counsel works is that sometimes we're going to hear things that we don't want to hear. And our most natural tendency is to go to our friends or people that, that, that will tell us things that we do want to hear. But God is in the business, church, of, of speaking truth through people that sometimes is uncomfortable, but it is for our good. And we see this in the, the book of 1 Kings 12. I don't know if you've been uh, reading in 1 Kings 12 this past week in your devotional life, uh, but there's a guy named Rehoboam uh, who is the grandson of David. You have David, Solomon, and Solomon, this guy named Rehoboam, and there's this stir amongst the nation. I mean, the nation is on the edge of their seat, and there, there's, this, this, there's this, this disagreement that goes on, and, and Rehoboam seeks two types of counselors. He seeks the older men who are with Solomon, and he tells him things that, that, that Rehoboam doesn't want, to hear, doesn't want to hear. And so then he goes back to his friends, to his buddies, to, to, to hear things that, that, that he wants to hear. And he actually responds from that council. And then tragedy happens. The nation splits. And then now, we, when we read through the Old Testament, we have this nation called uh, Judah. And then we also have this nation called Israel. And for us, we're like, we're really confused. Like, is he like the same people, two different people? Because that's what... Chaos does, church, it brings confusion. And when there's division in the body, the, the enemy uses that. And it's known in James uh, chapter four as demonic. That when the division happens in the body, uh, it, it, it disperses the body and it doesn't unite the body. And Paul says, I, I don't want to run in vain. I, I, I know I've been entrusted with go this gospel. It's been 14 years of hard ministry in Gentile land. I'm away from home. Because I've been entrusted, I want to go seek some counsel because I don't want to run in vain. Church, I don't want to spend my time, I don't want to spend my energy running in a direction where Jesus is not. There are a lot of good pursuits out there, but which are going to, the question we must ask ourselves is, which is going to be best to magnify Jesus in his kingdom? Church, where are our dreams? What are our hopes in? Is it about the gospel of Jesus or is it the gospel of America? Is it the American dream of success, of wealth, or status, or comfort, or filling up our storehouses and our bank accounts until retirement sets in so we can really just check out a life and be really self-absorbed? Oh God, if so, if, let us be awakened that this is not a dream, but this is a nightmare. 
that we're missing the kingdom, we're missing the glory that you called us not to, to, to ultimately consume, but to pour out our lives for the making much of your name. And in the making much of your name, that is where my true joy and my true satisfaction is found. Let us be people like Moses that when on the brink of going into the promised land in Exodus 33, with all of its milk and all of its honey, have you tasted honey, by the way? Mmm, honey's so good. I love some honey. Put some peanut butter on that junk. Mm. Man, I love some peanut butter and some honey. And you know the people have been wandering around for all those years. You know they're longing for some milk and honey. You know they're longing for a home. And Moses says, that would be a total waste, God. I mean, all the milk and honey in the world, if you're not in it, if you're not going with us into this promised land, count me out. What a What a waste. And so he prays, oh God, show me your glory. Would you show up in a way that moves me? Hebrews 12 would say that, we would, that, we, that we'd be so consumed by this glory that we would lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and that we would run with endurance, not with in vanity, not in emptiness, but we would run with endurance this race that is set before us looking to Jesus who is the author and the perfecter and the founder of our faith. Church, where are we looking? Is it to the American dream slash really nightmare? Or is it in the gospel and the glory of Jesus? That we would be propelled and moved because of how beautiful he is, and how glorious he is, that he is our treasure, he is our delight. And we'd be moved from a place, from that place, rather than possibly if you have some kids and you had some kids play t-ball, you know what it's like when they're learning how to run bases? It's very funny. They don't know where they're going. They'll swing the bat. The ball will go somewhere and you think they would go to first. They don't take off to first. They're in their own little world. And it's cute. And they go off into maybe third base or second base. And you look at the first baseman, you see him going like this. This way, little one. This way to first base. And it's really cute when they're four or five. But when you're 40, it's a different story. And I just had this picture in my mind of when I was going through this and running in vain. I just see Jesus as that first baseman coach saying this way, y'all, I'm right here. Your safety and your security is found in me. I know it's gonna be crazy. I know you're gonna go out outfield and play with all the grass and the butterflies. I know that's gonna be appealing. But the feast that is available for you is, is in me. Would you run to me? Would you direct your gaze? Would you behold me, church? Because we, for what we behold is what we will become. Church, what are we becoming? A church that is consumed? Because bad eating leads to uh, some clogged arteries. Are, are our arteries clogged with what our, the world is producing? What are we satisfied, satisfied with as we run? Because entrusted with the gospel, it leads us to seek counsel. Even when it's not comfortable, it also, entrusted with the gospel, leads, to, leads us to guard its truth. Look with me in Galatians 2, verse 3. Paul writes, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, look how they're described here, secretly brought in, slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for 
you or might be continued on for you. Paul brings Titus along into Jerusalem and says, hey, this guy isn't circumcised. You guys believe that when the, when the Messiah comes, he's gonna clear all those who aren't circumcised. And so I know that we have freedom in Christ. I know what y'all are thinking, but like we're gonna, we're gonna bank on his words, not on the tradition of what you guys are holding to. We're, we're gonna hold on to the gospel. And I don't know, church, like when we talk, like we'll talk more about circum- circumcision later. I think I've already said that word too many times, but that's the way we're, the text that we're in, right? I don't know how they checked certain things uh, when they rolled up in to Jerusalem. I, I don't know, but we do, what we do know, now that it just got really weird and awkward, you're welcome for that. But this, this concept of circumcision is, is a really big deal in the, in the Old Testament, because God goes on record in Genesis chapter 17 and says, I'm going to adopt a people. And this, this sign that I'm going to put on this people is going to be circumcision to point to a greater reality, which Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6, that, 6 says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And so this, this sign of the covenant was ultimately to point to a deeper and, and, and greater reality uh, that, 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 it, that this heart of, of stone would be cut away and this heart of flesh would be put within you, this, this, this heart of freedom and genuine love so that we can obey Jesus and follow after him. That's what the gospel does. And so these false teachers come in and they're, they're, they're communicating amongst the church like, hey, like, you're not like that committed. You're not really in for Jesus unless you, do, unless you are circumcised. I'm sure there's like 36-year-olds that are in the church saying, hey, bro, I'm really committed. I was 36 when I got it done. And I'm like, uh, Abraham was 99 when he got it done, by the way, in case you're interested in that, which that's commitment if uh, you're gonna appeal to any authority. But that church, that's not the gospel. The, the gospel is not a grace plus works. It's, it's, a, it's a grace. It's a, what Jesus has done for us and resting in that in his finish and redemptive work. But if we're not careful, this false teacher that comes in, like we talk about false teachers like out there, but there's a false teacher that we can even buy into. If we're not careful, we can wander even into having thoughts like, you know, here at the Grove, like we're legit, like we're for real. Like if, if you want to live out this Christian thing, you got to get in a growth group or you, you got to get in a neighborhood group or, or hey, you know, speaking of missional, you haven't been on like a scattered Sunday? Oh, you ain't committed, man. We're like, oh, we're actually out there right now getting, getting after it, if we so, which are good things, all good things. But if we rest just on those good things, they actually become tragic things that produce bondage and chains. That if we have these works, which we'll talk about later, like right at the end. We're, I'm just gonna lay it out there right now that I'm gonna encourage us to get to work because there's works that have been prepared in advance for you, for you to walk in. But first and foremost, don't get, forget Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. That is for by grace you've been saved through faith. And these, these false teachers, they creep in, they're spying, they slipped in. Like, I, I was just reminded of like this picture like of, of a snake, they're slipping in, they're spying out the land. All right. This past week, uh, I took my son to PetSmart because that's the, like when you're on a budget, that's the zoo for us. Uh, and so we go to, go to PetSmart, we're looking at all the fish, uh, he's making all the noises, great. And, uh, and then there's, there's a, 
like gerbils that are there and uh, there's cats and whatnot. We're all checking it out. And then, uh, and then you, you get a little closer, right above the gerbils are, are snakes, which why would you put gerbils and snakes next to each other? I don't know. It's like all day long, the gerbils are just taunting them. You can't eat me. <laughs> You're trapped in this small little glass box. And there's this one snake who's going crazy. And I, y'all, I don't do snakes. I just don't. You're thinking, well, they're good for the environment and they, you know, they kill certain things. And if you live in long metal farms, you see that stuff posted on Facebook. And I delete it. I unfollow that so quick because I, I can't look, even look at them. And I don't even want my son to look at them. So I'm turning him away. And then all of a sudden I go to this one box and I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, what's in this box? And I'm looking and looking and all of a sudden, like my eyes, like, you know, they just kind of like recenter and calibrate. Like the eyes of Satan were upon me. <laughs> And this little bitty old snake is just looking at me like, what you thinking, fool? I know I'm in this glass box, but I can do work, son. Don't get close to me. And immediately I'm like, I'm out. I love PetSmart, but we out, son. I don't do snakes. I won't do it. The Aaron, why would you talk about all of that? Because Genesis chapter three, it's not a coincidence that Satan comes on in the representation of a snake who's crafty. Which I don't know why you'd buy that junk and then bring it home to your house. What? You guys are crazy. Y'all can have that. I ain't, I ain't doing that. But there's a reason why snakes, like for the most of us, creep us out a little bit. It's because they're from Satan. That's what I'm saying this morning. <laughs> so we don't know, right? Like something like, it's cool, not me. But church, here's the picture I want us to, that I'm hopefully painting for us this morning is that if we're not careful, this false gospel, it'll sneak in on us. It'll, it'll camouflage itself. It'll sound really good. There'll be, like, that's why I think in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that, the, that, that Satan comes as an angel who masquerades as an angel of light. And we think that we're like false teachers are gonna come in and say, hey, I'm here, false teacher in the house. They don't do that. And really when we buy in, we don't do that either. And so what false gospel are we believing? I would encourage you to go listen to a sermon uh, done a couple weeks ago in Galatians 1 about these false gospels that we talked about. But for Paul, look at, look at his response to these innocent snakes that are creeping in. Not even for a moment, he says. Not even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you to continue on. I mean, Paul, he ain't messing around. Like there, there, there's, a, there's a motive in Paul. There's a movement in Paul because he's been entrusted with the gospel. <clears throat> ain't allowing no snakes to come in, <clears throat> excuse me, and, 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 and communicate a false message that we as a church also must be on our edge of our, like ready, like not just relaxed or checking out, but God calls us to be having a sober mind, a clear mind to think on things of the Lord so that we're able to filter out those things that are not true. But church, it's going to cause conflict. And for some of us, maybe, maybe even the most of us, we don't do conflict. It's hard for us to do conflict. We like what people think. Sometimes that gets the best of us and we remain passively silent, which isn't love, it's actually hate. Because God who has entrusted you with this beautiful gospel, loved you so much, who invaded you, entered into the conflict, was relentless in his pursuit when we were turning away from him, being rich in love, pursued us, bought us, purchased us, spoke truth to the false things that we were, we were believing. What false things are we believing this morning about him? Because whatever that is, it's gonna drive and leak into our behavior. 
And when we as a church, not just for, 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 for those that are quote unquote leaders, but because you have been, giving a, been given a priesthood in the spirit, he calls us to speak the truth in love. Not to be a jerk, because not only speak it, it matters how we speak it, but, but, but also actually speaking it. Because peace is not the absence of conflict or avoiding life, but it's allowing Jesus to restore that which is broken in us. That we can't remain passively silent. We're called to take initiative, to not even for a moment let it linger in the room because life and death are at stake. Freedom and bondage are at stake. A snake is in the house. They may, may not even know it. But we as who have been given a priesthood and who are shepherd or leading in some capacity has also been given a staff to protect the bride, to protect the body. Because where division happens, chaos happens. And where chaos happens, the gospel is no more. But the gospel must go forth as Paul is committed to. I'm tempted to talk about just kind of the, the culture that we're in, uh, being in the Bible Belt. Y'all, it's hard work being on mission. I don't want to stand up here before you and say, those lies and those false beliefs and those things that are, are easy to engage. It's difficult work. It, calls, it, it forces us to actually listen to people and to, to, be, to, to be also holding on to the truth with grace and love. I mean, it sh it's, it's so subtle how it shows up. It shows up in our music. It shows up in our, in our entertainment. And it shows up in like our, our country music. And some of y'all are like, Aaron, don't, don't you dare talk about country music now. I love some country music. I, 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 lo I love some Johnny Cash. I, I love some Willie Nelson. I love some Merle Haggard. You're thinking, how old are you? <laughs> I'm an old soul. George Strait, man, he's my godfather. Love George Strait. But growing up, there was this guy named Kenny Chesney. He had a song, and the song was this, is that everybody wants to go to heaven. And I have the lyrics that I would love to put before you. This actually comes from the book that Lance recommended a couple weeks ago from the unsaved Christian. He talks about this, this gospel that we're believing here in the Bible Belt. And he paints this picture from this song. It's really poppy when you listen to this. Preacher told me last Sunday morning, don't you want to hear him call your name when you're standing at the pearly gates? I told him, preacher, yes, I do, but I hope they don't call today. I ain't ready. Everybody wants to go to heaven and have a mansion high above the clouds. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Said preacher, maybe you didn't see me throw an extra 20 in the plate. There's one for everything I did last night and one to get me through today. Here's a 10 to help you remember next time you get the good Lord's ear. Say I'm coming, but there ain't no hurry I'm having fun down here. Don't you know that everybody wants to go to heaven, get their wings and fly around. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. And then he concludes the song with, I think I speak for the crowd. No, Kenny, you don't speak for everyone. We can't throw money in a plate or tip the preacher to get good with God in hopes to fly around with Jesus to live in a mansion he built for us. This is not the gospel, doing things to earn God's favor. The subtle message in this is that like, we're really not that bad, that we're okay on our right standing. No, we, we are totally 
depraved. Rebellious in and through. And the message of the true gospel is that we have ran away from him. But God being rich in love pursued us, intervened for us, died the death that we deserve and rose from the grave so that we could experience life now. Heaven now in a taste in hopes of what will come in eternity so that we will live with him. Not only to, to just, just kind of fly, we're not gonna just, if, if that's our hope of heaven to fly around with Jesus and to live in a mansion, I don't want it. I don't want the milk and honey. I want, I want him, I wanna be with him. I wanna be with him not just in this old, frail body, but I wanna be with him without hindrance, without sin, without brokenness, and without cancer, without divorce, without separation, without shame, I want to be with him fully. Amen. Not just in this life, but forever. This is our hope, church. People aren't impressed by us getting money and then thanking Jesus for it. People are impressed when we empty our bank accounts because of how much we gain in him. Do we see heaven? Do we, do we see the picture of what is before us? Or are we distracted by this Bible Belt gospel of just doing enough to get by in hopes that one day I'll make it? You, you won't, and I won't. But good news, Jesus came being rich in love, lived a life that we could never live, and died the death that we deserve so that we could truly live. Place your hope in him. Not the American gospel, which is a nightmare. Wake us up. But God, that we would live for you in freedom. Entrusted with this gospel leads us to seek counsel. It leads us to guard the truth, to protect the church. But being entrusted with the gospel, it leads us to partner together to extend this gospel. Paul writes in Galatians 2. Y'all still with me? Galatians 2 says, And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. When I came into Jerusalem, they didn't change the message. They didn't add anything to me. If anything, they confirmed it. And verse seven says, on the contrary, they, when they saw that I had been, here it is, entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So these pillars, these, this James and John and Peter, they look at Paul in the ministries, what he's up to, and they give this right hand of, 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 of confirmation. Because the hand of God was so obvious they couldn't help it to themselves but agree with it. They're lifting their hand and saying yes. And that they partnered, the reason why we, that last point is that we would partner together because this word koinonia shows up. This, what we see in actually in Acts chapter two that the body was committed to one another, devoted to the breaking of bread and to the teaching. They were together as, as one. The, 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 there was no separation. There was no Gentile church there was, no, there was no Jewish church. Like what we see is, is two different types of, of this unique styles of leadership and two different geographical callings, but one gospel in one church working together for the gospel to go out and forth into the land. And so with that, in order for every man, woman, and child to hear and have a chance to respond to the gospel, we have to work together, church, 
to saturate our city. We can't do it alone. And as we are sent out, there will be three types of people that we will encounter. As we're sent out, as we partner together, the first one uh, is we'll encounter the prodigal. There'll be three Ps for you. We'll encounter the prodigal, we'll encounter the Pharisee, and we'll, we'll encounter the poor. Because the, the, this, this, this party of, of the circumcision, these are the Jewish people. These are the people who are well acquainted with the stories. They're well acquainted with the truths. We see those that are interacting with Jesus, but we also see the prodigal as well interacting with Jesus. And Paul says, I'm gonna go pursue the poor uh, as, as well. For the prodigal that we will encounter, uh, if you ever run into a prodigal, you, you know because their sins are just out there. there there's nothing to hide. Uh, there, there, there's this kind of, I know I'm broken uh, and I don't care, I'm just gonna kind of live my life. But underneath this prodigal is a, is a desire for pleasure. And this desire for pleasure goes him to seek out the world and anything that it has to offer and attempt to hold on to it. And underneath all of that is a deep root of shame and feeling unworthy. It's easier to talk about that prodigal, but, but, but church, let, let me invite you to, to look at the prodigal within you. Is how do we bow down to God's gifts with the attempt to fill what only he can truly fill? Maybe we look to people to find acceptance or maybe we bow down to Facebook or Instagram to receive uh, the sense of significance or maybe we bow down to our jobs or, or money to find security or maybe we bow down to entertainment to receive comfort or maybe we even look to our own kids to find our value and our true worth. What gifts, church, have we elevated to the level of worship? And how do we cope with shame in our pursuit towards relief? Where do we turn? Because there's a prodigal out there, but there's a prodigal within us. The second P is the Pharisee. You know you run into a Pharisee when they outwardly got it all going on. They got the garb, they got, they got the right words to say. Like there's this religious activity, but inwardly they're full of dead men's bones as Jesus would say. And they're motivated more out of obligation than genuine love for Jesus. This is why they complain and they grumble. If you were to ask your spouse or a friend from this past week this question, I wonder what would come, out, come about it of, hey, how much did I complain this past week? How much did I grumble? How much did I groan? We look at the Old Testament and be like, Israelites, why y'all complaining? You got Jesus, I mean, you, not, you, you, got, you got the Lord before you. God Almighty. And Jesus, before he put on flesh, I mean, he's doing some work out there. Who are you like? Who are you not to be content in, in him? But there's this grumbling and there's this, this groaning. The Pharisee also likes to compare. The Pharisee likes to compete. They're always uh, keeping tallies and points. And you know, like the Pharisees coming out is when you have a conflict and you start talking with somebody and all of a sudden they start talking about all the things that they did. They start having this, like, whoa, I didn't know we were playing a game. Where'd the scoreboard come up? But for the Pharisee, that's what they did. Like, they filed away, and they had their guns ready, and, like, as soon as, like, you diss them or, like, go the strong way, they're going to react. I mean, that's ultimately why the Pharisees put Jesus on the cross. Because they're filing away. We have to get rid of this guy. He's a threat. He's a, he, he's a threat. This Pharisee, ultimately, at the root, it's driven by Entitlement. And they're angry people. 
because there's all this expectation and no one is able to meet it. All these things that they have done. And church, that's my story. My story is a story of freedom. I grew up in the church. I, I, I grew up with, my, not, like, not willingly, but my mom would, like, as Paul took Titus along, I was taken along uh, as well uh, into to church. And uh, a lot of my motive of going is that there was some really good cookies. Um, and there were going to be some girls there that maybe I could uh, interact with and, and talk with. Uh, and also, like, I would also be awarded certain patches for certain things that I did. And so I, I, there was this program called Awanas, and I, I would store up these patches in order to show everybody how much I, like, religious I was. And I would use these patches almost like a, like a religious letter jacket. Like when in high school, we had all these patches, and I would come in and roll into to church with all these patches, thinking how, how great I am, but inwardly I was spiritually dead and calloused. And actually using God's word to make much of myself rather than genuinely, like out of love, pursuing his word. And so there was, there was a lot of anger in me. If you were to ask my favorite color when I was a kid, it was always red. So I was just angry. Because outwardly I had it going on church. Let me invite you. If you've been in church for a little bit, you, you're familiar with the stories let, let your obedience and let your, let your pursuit towards the Lord be from a place of genuine love and not just for the accolades. Because that is where I think it's tragic for the Pharisee to stand before Jesus and say, didn't I do all these things? Didn't I go to church? Didn't when I, when I, when I there every Sunday? When I setting up? When in your life did God truly intervene, change your life, to where you realized that you were broken and you needed a savior. I'll never forget that evening when I was invited into a relationship where all, all those patches and all those awards and all those things meant nothing because I was a phony and I was a fake. And that pastor called up front. It was an altar call. It was at camp. And God used camp in a, in a very special way in my life. And I, I remember standing up and my buddies were around me looking on thinking, what's he doing? Because when... When, the, when we're entrusted with the gospel and we respond from the gospel, it causes us to do things that are radical. Like stand up before your peers and be like, yeah, I had y'all fooled. I had my parents fooled. I'm coming clean because I can't live this way. The Pharisee is exhausted because they're trying on this religious treadmill and going absolutely nowhere. Are you exhausted this morning? Will you place your trust and place your faith in Jesus and what he's accomplished for you? Because that's where freedom is found. That's where it is. So we will, we will encounter the prodigal. We will encounter the Pharisee. But let me invite you to think, where's the prodigal in our life? Where do we need to repent and trust in Jesus? Where's the Pharisee in our lives? And where do we need to wage war on him? And lastly, being entrusted with the gospel causes us to partner together to, to extend the gospel to the poor. Paul says, only they asked us to remember. The only thing that Peter, James, and John, like that, that they said for Paul to do is, is to remember the poor. And Paul says that he was eager. He was eager to remember the poor. Would that be a word that we would describe our efforts in remembering the poor as eager? How do we encounter the homeless person on the street? 
How do, we, how do we, when we, we're driving in our cars and we, and we see them from a distance and, and we see like there's a sign there and we, and we think, okay, can I switch lanes? Is there somewhere I can pull over? Because, oh, I can't, I'm stuck here. And then, and then he's standing there and then there's, there's, no, there's no eye contact. And maybe we have thoughts of, well, like what did he do to get himself there? What did she do to get himself there? It's really cold outside. It's really hot outside. Maybe I should do something. But if I do something, I may like enable them to do like more unhealthy things. And then we kind of backtrack. And then before we know it, the light turns green and we're off. And in moments, we have possibly even forgotten about them. Church, I don't know if that, I don't know, I'm gonna speak, no, that is not the answer. Is what can we do? Because Paul Tripp will say that true love is not just something you feel, it is something you do. Love is a heartfelt compassion that results in action toward the other person. I mean, church, after all, we were spiritually bankrupt and homeless. And Jesus, being rich in love, moved toward us. How then could we move towards others with a tangible expression of the gospel? We need help in this. We need wisdom in this. We need to pray about this. But church, we need to actually do something about it. So that we don't continue just in praying about things, but God, we would actually be sent out to go make a difference. What would it look like to get your family in a huddle and, and, and to follow the words that we see right here, that we would remember the poor, that we'd be eager or diligent to remember the poor? What would it look like to huddle up with your family and say, how can we take care of the homeless person? How can we engage our community? What if we just like made pre-packaged baggies of something, of water or, or snacks? Or, and then like, what if you actually got out of the car can you imagine your kids? You're on Grand Parkway. You pull over in the U-turn. You're like, I thought we were going to like Lupe Tortilla. Why are you going to keep on going towards I-10? And you pull over. Can you imagine you've actually got out of the car and actually extended a gift and not only just gave stuff that you would speak the gospel and maybe say something like, you know, I've been blessed and I know that I've seen the scriptures that, that, that God, called, God called a guy named Abraham and blessed him for him to be a blessing to the nations. I just want to be a tangible blessing that Jesus loves you. You feel miserable. I'm sure you feel isolated, but he's rich in love. Would you trust him? And when they look at you funny and it's awkward because that's what happens when the gospel meets our world. It gets awkward, and that's okay. Lean into it. And that we would speak words of life because being entrusted with the gospel calls us to speak the gospel and allow people to respond. We can't control their response. And then we walk away, praying that God would reveal himself. And when you get back in the car and your kids look at you like you're crazy, I'm crazy for Jesus, y'all. It just compels me to do certain things. Maybe instead of reacting in that, what would it look like to be ready for it, to encounter those on the streets, what would it look like for us as a church to not only just have a tagline for Jesus and for good, but that we would actually be for Jesus and for good? That we wouldn't just extend our wallets, but that we would extend our hands and our feet to make a difference within our community, that we would come along organizations like Attack Poverty who are, who, are, who are doing good work, who are not just dumping money into a community, but they're like, they're living in the community, commuting to the, the people that they have been created in the image of God, that they've been created for a purpose, and, they've, and they're empowering people to literally attack poverty. Not just physical poverty, but more importantly, spiritual poverty. What would it look like for us, to, for as a church, would care for the orphan, that we would prioritize our calendars once a month to go to Depelchen, to visit 
the orphan. You have questions about that. I think Troy would love to talk with you about that. Or Jenny Ames would love to talk to you about coming alongside and being for the orphan to make a difference. That we'd be actually going out into our community to remember the poor. We come alongside our friends like Beak, who's here with us, and we encourage him and love him. And that maybe we, w- we would give financially because of how much God has given us. And then maybe crazy thought that we'd actually possibly go to India if there's a plan that's being in the mix. If that's a possibility, what would that look like? Not just to care for our friends here, but across the sea. Because church, we're called as we're entrusted with this gospel. We're called to seek counsel. We're called to guard the truth. And we're, and we're called to partner together to actually be for Jesus and actually be for good. What would it look like for us to walk in obedience to that? Let me pray. As the band comes up and we continue on in in communion. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for your word, God, that you uh, entrust us with a beautiful and precious, um, but also a force of a message. That in the gospel, God, we experience life. God, that's in the gospel that we are made whole. It's in the gospel we become no longer spiritually impoverished, but we actually become rich in love because of your love that's been poured out into us. And so God, as a result of that, would we take physical things, would we take things of this world and gladly live this life with our hands truly open to be about your kingdom advancement in seeking the good of the city, that we also would agree, not just agree with our heads, but that we'd actually live out with Paul to be eager for the poor, to pursue the Pharisee, to pursue the prodigal as we wage war on those things ourselves, as we invite people to to follow you to to the greater in full hope not to float around with you, not to just live in a mansion or to, to, to get the milk and the honey, but, but that we would invite people into a, the glorious truth that you pursued us when we were running away from you to give us life and give us peace and fullness. You've, been, you've entrusted us with this, these truths, God. And what would we do as a result but gladly lose ourselves, God, in the joy of making much of you. We love you, God, ultimately because you first loved us. In your name I pray, amen.